0: Today's episode of the Menfulness Podcast is sponsored by the Knights Menfulness Talk Group. Did you know we meet on the first Monday of every month at the community stadium, proudly hosted by the York City Knights? Now you don't need to know anything about rugby, um, and there's always some of us trustees on board, it's usually hosted by Dan. Uh, we break into groups and we just share openly for a couple of hours. We share about what we've been through, what we're going through right now, about our challenges or our wins. Now, it sounds daunting, but so many blokes who have come along and stayed quiet for the first few sessions have eventually opened up and found it to be really helpful coping with life's challenges. The atmosphere is always incredible. We leave feeling lighter, having been heard and understood. So if you're looking for an outlet, then please do come and give us a try. These sessions are free and open to men over 16. For more information, check out meetup.com forward slash menfulness or just turn up at the night shop opposite the main entrance inside the community stadium from 7pm or reach out to us direct for more information. Hello and thank you for taking time out of your day to spend an hour with us. Or perhaps you didn't, maybe you're washing up at the gym, running or driving right now and we're an accompaniment to your busy life and we're very happy with that. And however we find you, you're very welcome here at the Menfulness Podcast. Before we get going, I am chuffed to announce that we won an award last weekend, uh, the very first BBC Make a Difference Awards. We came away with the Community Group Award, which has totally blown us all away. Uh, The the fact that we even got nominated was incredible, but to win the award has humbled us all indeed. uh, And we're so grateful for all the support that we get in what we're trying to do. A big thank you goes to all of our volunteers for all of their hard work making everything happen and to the members who make this thing the success that it is and also to you for listening in and sharing our message. So while we're relishing in glory uh, here's some feedback from the last couple of episodes. Uh, First from Adam on episode four with Sinead this was posted in the Menfulness Facebook support group. Listen to an episode of the Mindfulness Podcast about what to expect at the counselling sessions. For those of you wondering if it's for you, it's definitely worth a listen. I found the discussion of what to expect and how the sessions are structured really helpful. Hopefully, we'll have my first session this weekend. Yes, Adam, uh, that's great to hear that you've gained something from the podcast and that you feel able now to take that step into counselling. Uh, we wish you all the very best, mate. Keep in touch. This is from Matt. Uh, On Aidan's episode 5, I've just listened to this on a train down south for work. What an insight eye-opener and inspirational way to start the week. Over the last six months of coming to football, albeit infrequently, this group has helped me immensely. Only a couple of weeks ago, I had a moment at football where I stopped, looked around and realised that I had no idea what any of these guys were going through, but that on that pitch, everyone is there for the same reason. Aidan was the first person to welcome me six months ago. And as he said about Mike's words to him, I remember the same initial welcome. Great work to everyone involved. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. That's, it feels very full circle to um, have Aidan come on here and speak about that same experience. And then to read how the football has had that same impact on you. Um, So, yeah, I appreciate you getting in touch, mate, and keep talking. Thank you. Now, in today's podcast, we're speaking to Pete Quinn. Uh, It's hard to state, really, just how awesome Pete is. If Sinead is the caring, guiding matriarch, then Pete is the wise, sage, oracle figure. Uh, Pete's an inclusion consultant who is out there working within the education, tech, corporate, and arts sectors, helping make meaningful change and harnessing the power of diversity, He's a consultant, coach, speaker and leader. He's nudged us when we've needed to act. He's supported us with so many opportunities and funding bids and I've lost count. Uh, He and Joe Garden from Social Vision Vision, (laughs) put together our impact report, which you can find at menfulness.org, which really shows how our work is having a positive effect. He's just an all-round good egg and we really wouldn't be the menfulness that you see without him on board. In this conversation, we hear about Pete's journey to York from Bristol via Tanzania and Oxford to working for himself in the field of inclusion and to menfulness, of course. Along the way, we talk travel, personal challenge and roller skating. We learn that building a successful and meaningful vocation doesn't require a traditional upbringing and that being more inclusive tends to benefit everybody. If you want to learn more about Pete and his work, then he is active on LinkedIn, Twitter, or visit uk. Trigger warnings to consider, we touch on baby loss and bereavement in this chat. Uh, We're very, very grateful for Pete to come on here and share his journey uh, and experience with us, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Pete Quinn, thanks for coming, brother. That's all right, Sam. Nice to be here. Uh, thank you, man. In it's... the man cave. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah. it, it's everything that was promised and more.
0: <laughs> thank you, mate. I appreciate your time. Uh, and, and before we get going, I think it's it's important to say that um, we're incredibly grateful for what you do for Menfulness. It cannot be uh, overstated what, uh, what you've brought, whether it's funding, guidance, time, experience, the impact report, just generally... Um, You're the volunteer that dreams are made of, Pete. I mean Well That's gonna be my next tattoo. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, volunteer probably doesn't do you justice. But yeah, thank you, mate. I'd very much appreciate you.
1: Well, uh... it's a privilege. I you know, I just love what mindfulness does. So I tend to get involved in things that I love rather than things that I'm not too keen on. But when I first heard about mindfulness, I was sort of that's the sort of thing I want to be involved with.
0: And when was that then? When did you first hear about it? So I
1: think I think you know, um, we've all lost Um, the concept of time is all a bit unfamiliar (laughs) to us with you know global pandemics and whatnot yeah I think it was 2017 and I went to Micklegate Social which is a um, a kind of bar restaurant place uh, top of Micklegate in York and I'd heard that there was um, an organization that um, was starting to form starting to germinate and Jack and Mike were sat at the front there with half of York City Council uh, <laughs> on the other side and, and lots of voluntary organisations. And I just went along. I can't remember if it was Andy Chapman, who was um, a great colleague and friend who was the North Yorkshire Suicide Prevention Coordinator, or whether it was Joe Gardam, who um, oversees Social Vision, one of the two invited me to come along, um, and so I, I just turned up and um, was from a perspective of what can I do what can I get involved with this kind of uh, work sounds interesting to me
0: yeah so I was there yeah so you that's part of how you roll it, is it just sort of turning up to these sort of events and seeing if there's it's something to, sometimes yeah I mean it's my in my
1: my professional business life it's a bit more organized than that yeah. I'd like to say.
0: <laughs> I don't loiter with intent
1: but um when I hear about community initiatives I I do like to get involved in them so where I come from, um, in, in Burstland, in West Yorkshire, um, the, the Joe Cox Foundation was kind of born out of the tragedy there. But their message of more in common yeah. um was something that I was really drawn to and about making um we have far more in common than divides us. And kind of like communities can solve their own problems if you just give them enough resource to do so. Yeah. So that's that's what I was and I like the name Menfulness. I don't know if it was like come and meet mentfulness or whether mindfulness grew out of it That's
0: I think menf- I see, I've heard that meeting spoken about before and I think Menfulness grew out of that meeting mm, mm. Um, And yeah it's a great name I think it's Mike Mike's uh, brainchild okay. that But yeah it's Copyright uh, Mike Hewitt. Yeah, right, it's, it's good though isn't yeah, it because it, it kind brilliant. of it, it does what it says on the tin um, Well and,
1: whenever I've talked about Menfulness people don't go oh, wait what explain What that yeah. means they're like oh, okay that Sounds cool yeah that's Um, good and and when i've worn the mindfulness merch you know at sporting events and things like that people have come up and said absolutely love that message you know the don't man up speak up message and they just get it straight away it's simple
0: Uh, i guess it's like that more in common yeah it's a simple way and it's and it speaks to people already get it Mm -hmm. you know um yeah that's awesome mate and i think you know there's i wanted to speak to you today because like many of our other guests i've realized that even though we spent quite a bit of time together, there's loads about your story that I don't know. Okay. Um, the, uh, again, with the work that you do and uh, the work that you've done for us, I thought it'd be really useful to, um, to see if we can tell your story a little bit. Okay. So so to start with then, um, could you tell us where it all began? So I grew up in Berstel, um, which is west yorkshire everyone
1: knows it now because ikea is there <laughs> and and showcase cinemas but i remember when all that was gre- green fields and a, <laughs> and a pet food factory <laughs> which you can still if the wind's blowing in the right direction you're still very familiar with that um but i grew up there in uh, late 80s early 90s uh, it was quite a, an interesting time to grow up you know margaret thatcher was still around doing yeah. what she did to industrial communities um so i grew up there i went to school in birstall and um, then in Dewsbury which is also you know kind of it's it's quite nice to be able to say Burstall yeah and people know where yeah, that is because yeah. when I lived down south for many years I'd say oh yeah I'm from Burstall and they go Borstall you know as if <laughs> yeah. I'd been like to an approved school when I was younger <laughs> or something um I went to secondary school there, and then I went sixth form in in Huddersfield and um, Huddersfield new college so but I, I mean I had, I had a great mum a really great role model tried to do everything she could for us Dad, not such a great role model, um, really lovely man. Um, went to Oxford University on a local, uh, on a scholarship. He was from a working class background. His dad was a baker. And his mum was um, worked in the post office. And he ended up going to Oxford University, you know, when that was pretty unheard of in, the, in wow. the 60s. Yeah. He was the first cohort to go to St. Catherine's College, which was this brutalist concrete structure in Oxford. And he did okay there, but he had a very strange upbringing. And, and as it turned out, he had bipolar, which was then called manic depression. So my summer holidays were very adventurous. So my dad would go high in the summer. Right. And so when most people's like childhoods were sort of like, uh, you know, kind of normalish, the windows were thrown open. We had meatloaf playing at full blast or Mozart or the Rocky Horror Picture Show was a staple of my childhood because yeah. my dad loved it yeah. or Marianne Faithful or and he'd do things like um, oh, I'm just going out for a game of golf. And um, my mum was born in St. Andrews and we used to go on holiday there and, you know, the home of golf. And we didn't have mobile phones then, Sam. You know, I don't know if you, yeah. you remember those <laughs> there times. There was a time. So you get the phone call from the call box and the pips. And um, my dad had gone to play golf in St. Andrews. You know, wow. it just like, oh, he hasn't come back for his tea, which yeah. wasn't that unusual. So... That was quite a, and it, and it was sometimes fun, but other times not. Did you know what was going on there? Not you, really. You know. So we were, I mean, and it did have a big impact. And he also drank. He was an alcoholic. So he was, um, you know, he, he was he was well known and like made a, a hero in the village where we lived, but a tragic hero. Yeah. So he would sit in the village square drunk um, or he'd, he'd be at the bookies and loads of people knew him. Everyone would be like, yeah. all right, Sean, all right, Sean. And it was really tricky growing up there because you were trying to, you know, kind of get on with the girls and be a cool kid. And then your dad's the village drunk. It's, yeah. it's not that easy no. to, uh, to to kind of be cool when your dad's drunk. Um, so, so that did have an impact on my childhood. But my mum gave me loads of opportunities. We were always doing stuff. I got, you know, I went to Sixth form College in Huddersfield, um, which doesn't sound that glamorous. But then that took me to Tanzania in East Africa because the biology teacher there had... Um, a, a link with with someone in Tanzania so we got to do like a trip to Tanzania when most people were learning to drive
0: I was out in Tanzania
1: <laughs> so spending spent my driving money on that um so I did did two trips to Tanzania with six form because it took me a bit longer than usual to do my a levels um I did I did um not have the most idyllic childhood in terms of my behavior and the way I was at school um, right. so bit a bit of a um juvenile delinquent i think was the the term then you know I, was, I smoked from a very early age i did a little bit of drinking and messing about myself um and so you know then i got to sixth form college and i got the opportunity to spend a year living in tanzania you went for a year yeah i lived there for a year wow. and i'd already lived there for a few months at a time and um that that was really impactful on me and i'll i'll, I'll bring it up because my neighbor was a wonderful man called wilfred camaro and um he he taught me about resilience, about faith. Um so I went to a Catholic school, not Catholic anymore, yeah. like like most people who went to Catholic school, <laughs> yeah. it feels like. But he had such faith and and such um optimism. And so I picked up up that. My my son's middle name is Kimaro, because I now have to take him on a bound to take him and show him where his name came from. But he had such a positive um faith that things would be okay, things would work out okay um so i taught english there i climbed active volcanoes i went on safari i got involved in loads of stuff um as a a volunteer so i had to raise a bit of money to go out there and that faith and optimism that he had um has stuck with me for most of my life i sort of saw that in action and there were lots of other people who that was a, a really impactful time so i came from quite a chaotic family situation yeah but he was like a bit of a father figure i realize um and and sadly he died like many of my colleagues there he had hiv um, and died uh, really i mean the life expectancy in those countries is pretty low anyway so i was eight, one of the first things i started to do in terms of giving back to my community there was i started a fund um, when i worked in oxford um, and jumping forward to raise money for all the kids there whose crops failed in their family or their parents died of hiv right um, or those kind of things, and, yeah. and we raised enough money so that they would get to stay in education and and not lose that vital stepping stone out into life. But
0: yeah, so I lived in a third world country wow. um, before I went off to university. Um, so that was, and it then was... you kept that connection with it, even once yeah. you moved to Oxford, you were raising money. And, yeah, yeah, and... I'm
1: still I'm still in touch with some some people back from Tanzania. Um, you know, I learned to speak Swahili. I I, I had I had quite an interesting time. And in terms of the mental health picture, there, I mean, it was it was. I was warned off from a couple of occasions from not going to the bar and drinking with the witch doctor, um, of the of the area, which which wasn't like someone with you know the kind of stereotypical that you see in Western no. films, like feathered hats and, yeah. and stuff. It was just a guy in a suit, but it was like don't drink with him. But there were a number of people who had relatives who had what I recognize in my father's um, mental illness something like bipolar or something yeah. like you know yeah. drink uh, drink difficulties and there was a there was a name for them as kichar, which was madmen and people there was an idea about demonic possession and there, there was always an undercurrent of um their beliefs of ancestors and things like that so um i on uh, most people in the area i lived had a christianity type faith whether it was methodism lutheran or whichever missionaries had got their first sort of thing yeah but when someone died there there was always the underlying kind of ancestral bit as well. Right. Um, so that what that's I was going off to university to do uh, anthropology, which is the study of people. So it was almost like I was doing field work before yeah. the degree, almost. Absolutely. Although that sounds like a little bit kind of um, <laughs> slightly uh, colonialist and uh, not not quite right, but I I learned a lot from from living in a completely different community and, yeah. and their attitude around mental health um, was was very different to mine yeah. but, but not that different to what we sometimes encounter in terms of stigma and yeah absolutely and being um ostracized and or having behavior explained because of
0: yeah it might be know, a little more extreme yeah um but yeah. but yeah so so then you moved to oxford did you Studied yeah oxford. went
1: went to oxford brooks I, I i will admit i applied to do a degree um two places one was a place in um affiliated to durham university so i was going to get a degree from durham or i was going to get a degree from oxford brooks um, (laughs) and that was my master plan and then i was going to go and work for the united nations and you know travel the world um i went to brooks did anthropology had a great time loved it there and then i settled in oxford and got a job with oxford university yeah all around making the university a bit more um accessible and inclusive to um, adult learners predominantly so there was a a department there particularly specifically for part-time students and I encountered many people who at school had been told they were thick who were dyslexic and who had also dropped out of school for mental health reasons and at the time in the sort of latish 90s early noughties there was a lot of um, opportunity funding and um, pipelines for people with historic mental health difficulties to come and study. Right. So I encountered um, a number of people who needed a bit of extra support, which was kind of my my purview. And then I moved into the Central University and became the head of disability there, where I encountered huge numbers of students who were absolutely brilliant, bright, fantastic, from all sorts of backgrounds, who just happened to have bipolar disorder or who happened to have OCD or who happened to have autism. Yeah, And so the challenge there was to persuade really bright individuals that they might need a little bit of extra help or that we might need to do things a little bit differently for those individuals. So it was a it's the the flip side of what we usually encounter around mental health. So there was a bit of stigma, but there was also a bit of talent and
0: it's like how do you support that talent how right. do you support people so, this is where your journey for inclusion started yeah. then so you when you were leaving tanzania and coming to oxford your plan was un work something like that. and, and in somewhere along that you yeah. found actually yeah. i could be I, well, could... I, I couldn't get in at oxfam um oxfam
1: was going through one of their thousands of restructures probably right. and i couldn't get in there um i did a bit of volunteer in the central office in oxford because oxfam comes from oxford that's yeah. where they were based so that was the sort of thing i wanted to do and yeah so I, I didn't you know best led plans i didn't yeah. really have a plan no but that yeah so I, my degree was really useful
0: yeah Well you were studying people people rituals the way they behave cultures yeah taboo yeah absolutely and yeah. then and then you were finding people you, you found um sort of skill in inclusivity
1: yeah I, and I had really good people around me, and really supportive people who were all aligned with, with this mission. And as you can probably imagine, if you're working in an organization like Oxford, which has got a thousand years of history, and isn't, that they, they don't really have to change because they're successful. So, yeah. so what they're successful at, they are really successful at. Yeah. Um, so it was incremental getting change made, convincing academics and other people that this was the right thing to do yeah and not from a moral perspective but from a success and talent perspective yeah so we got things like um use of assistive technology in exams and we really interrogated dyslexia and whether it was a problem for people who were very highly intelligent um we did all sorts of things around demystifying mental health um autistic spectrum type stuff um, and then you know, mobility, sensory impairment, all those things um, yeah. that you you need to make little bits and pieces of changes or fundamental changes sometimes to in, to include. Yeah,
0: I mean, we still you're still hearing a lot about that at the moment, hmm. um, and it seems that so that this was back in the noughties Then this was in the nineties. Yeah, when it when it, when it the was start of the conversation. It was not acceptable in no, the noughties either. But you know, it was, but it was just starting to become. Yeah.
1: So late nineties, there was a lot of money flying around. Yeah. For that. Um, now there's less and less money but there's still that ambition yeah Um, so yeah it was about um, I think we really made a difference the the Equality Act came in in 2010 and that that gave quite a bit of leeway to make progress that in 2005 there was something really powerful which was meaningfully involving the people that you are aiming to support and include yeah so you had to go and meet with disabled people people with mental health difficulties and say these are the barriers we think you're encountering. What can we do about them? And we, we did it together. Yeah. And I think that's one of the good things about mindfulness and that resonates is when we've got an issue or a, a thing that we spot and highlight, we can fix it together. Yeah. We say, what what is it what that we need think? to do to yeah. fix it? Who wants to have a go at it? Yeah. Here's some yeah. money. Yeah. Let's, we'll support you. But it's not like, oh, there's a problem there and it needs fixing, but we'll leave it to someone else to do it. Yeah. So and we we think we know the answer, but we're not going to talk. We're lucky in that it. respect
0: that the five of us that kind of steer the ship. We don't really, we, we don't on our own know what we're doing. Yeah. We're administrating this, um, and we're lucky enough to have people like you actually do I, it in the real world. Yeah, I think
1: you do yourself a bit of a disservice. Well, you like, know, we don't know what we're doing. You, well, you do know
0: a bit of what yes, you are doing, but we've, you're got got lived ex- we've got lived experience, yeah. and we we share from the the same pot as everybody else. Yeah. We don't we don't, but it is really useful having people like yourself who yeah. who, are, who are actually you know, doing it out there, making a real difference. Yeah. Um, and so do you, how far do you think we've come, you know, since you started having these conversations and where we are well, now? Menfulness. So, well, I, I mean, generally, Oh, about- generally. Okay. So societally,
1: I think we, if you think about it, we're no longer reliant on just Stephen Fry or the odd footballer talking about mental health as this kind of concept that they experience in their celebrity land. Yeah. We've got to the stage where people are talking honestly and openly and and I, I would say then we've got Tyson Fury who's not yeah. just talking about it honestly and openly, like he's literally ripping his heart open yeah. and saying, and, and it, that's powerful stuff. But there's still someone else. There's still yeah. like another. Yes. So now we do have um, people who are actively saying, yeah, I've got mental health difficulties. Um, yeah. I struggle sometimes. Sometimes I have bad days. Sometimes I have good days. What I do about it is this. Yeah. And it gives people the opportunity to do it themselves. Yeah. I think where we've not got to yet is um, making duvet days normal in the workplace. Yeah. Acknowledging that some people just need a few days sometimes to, to um, kind of consolidate and come back. Yeah. We've not recognized um, that people with bipolar, schizophrenia, psychosis can actively participate in workplaces in society and communities. We've not quite got there yet. I think we've made so much progress. Um, but it is progress forwards and then back. So at the moment, you know, government is not making the right noises around it. No. You know,
0: the man up bit yeah. is
1: where they've got to not the man up speak up bit. Yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, sort yourselves
0: out. Yeah, and the and the cuts in funding don't yeah. fill you with confidence and stuff.
1: Cuts in underfunding. So it's World Mental Health Day today. So it is. Happy yeah. World Mental yeah. yes. Health yes. Day. Sam. Thank you. The thing I posted this morning was a stat from the Centre for Mental Health, which is there's a 10 year gap on average between a young person being identified as having a mental health difficulty um, to them getting support. Yeah. So 10 years on average. Right. And I just said, imagine if that was cancer. Imagine yeah. if that were diabetes. So that's not the most um, kind of enlightening and uplifting statistic. No. The, the good thing about that is that they're actually looking at it. They're doing research on it. And we know a lot of things that that can impact on that. So if a young person gets an early intervention, gets an effective treatment, um, it reduces the impact of the mental illness, it reduces the duration of the mental illness, uh, and it means that they've got a, a much better chance of, of, of kind of making it through. Um, there's a lot of socioeconomic factors and other, other areas as well, but at least we've got a sense of what works.
0: And I suppose if it is dealt with at an earlier stage, then the the cost to services down the line Certainly. you would think it would be a false economy to yeah. to keep people waiting that so long. you're not
1: crisis managing and yeah. sadly as we've seen and encountered a bit in the mindfulness groups um you know there are people who just left a long time with promise of something yeah and they don't get it yeah now i think that what what mindfulness isn't uh, has done as uh, as a s- sort of service but I, I i really don't want to call it that as a group as a yeah. community is we've taken out some of that kind of difficulty that people experience along the way. So we give an opportunity for people to talk. We give an opportunity for people to exercise. We get an opportunity for people to engage with other people, normalize that there is mental health difficulties that people encounter, but that you don't necessarily have to go and have, um, you know, intensive counseling just because you're feeling low. Yes. If you're depressed and you have real challenges and difficulties, it really helps. That talking bit really helps. And if in doubt, you know get an assessment and Sinead was great last on the last podcast about you know what that looked like and the benefits of it and it's great to see it but you know you you can you can do stuff yourself you know you can um you can have have a having agency and having the ability to do stuff um is 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 powerful and I would say we've seen that in the people that have taken on some of the activities in menfulness who themselves have lived experience of mental health difficulty yeah that um that kind of agency they get for that meaning and purpose that they get for it is is really good stuff and that and that helps them a lot and
0: it ripples out absolutely they're they're the most keen uh to to give back to the group which is yeah it's it's amazing to see um and and I think you're right I think the, the the community being able to talk honestly about what's going on with you is liberating but I think it's there is still some of that stigma. I spoke to one guy who said I wouldn't want to talk like this to my colleagues because I yeah. do think that yeah. it would affect my opportunities for progression Absolutely. at work. Like, oh, he's he's a, he might have a wobble, so yeah. we don't want to risk him going off sick if we promote him, you know, and that sort of th- that that still exists among yeah, people. Totally. And
1: and there was a guy who ran Lloyd's Bank for a while. I don't know if he's still there, but he wrote very openly and honestly about when he got to a a crunch point and he mm. he, he essentially burnt out. Yeah. And I thought that's transformational. And there's a leader of uh, one of the Nordic countries who's talked about that. That's that's fantastic. And that's where we want to be. But, you know, I I work with organizations on strategy around mental health. That's part of the work I do based on kind of experiences that I had when I moved. I moved to, to York to be a director of student support at the University of York. So that was an operational and a strategic role. So we had to develop mental health strategies and ways of working and linking up with health and... And other services. Um, and before I came, I read up on quite a bit of things around positive psychology um, and some really interesting work that was done by an organization called the Carnegie Trust about developing resilience. Now, resilience is a really problematic term for people of, you know, kind of typical undergraduate student age. But what that means is bouncing back from challenge with an awareness and knowledge of how the next time that challenge comes, you can, you can bring that in. And so we tried to develop that approach at York. um, And I think that that stood us in good stead. And there was a big piece there about meaning and purpose. And I think that is evident in mindfulness. So people have meaning and purpose by being part of mindfulness and part of its activities, um, which gives them that agency and gives them that sense of resilience Yeah. or Whatever the better term for resilience yeah. is that we haven't quite arrived upon, <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's the bit about giving communities a little bit of money
0: to solve their own problems. Yeah, and that's what I think mentalness is a great example of. Thank you, that's awesome. Um, so you you your position in the arc uni then that was director of mental health. Did you say director, director of student support? Student support. So that included
1: the fantastic um, mental health and disability teams that were there. Yeah. Um so I came from Oxford where there was an expectation of excellence in services. Um yeah. that was totally the case at, at York when I arrived. Also financial assistance, community, right, relations, um the chaplaincy team, um everything around well being. Basically, yeah. it was it was community. Yeah, um, everything to do with community. So lots of, of links with, within the community as well. And that's what I came to do really. Yeah. Um that was in two thousand and thirteen.
0: Right. Yeah. Awesome. Um and so here you remained this is where you built your life i did did, yeah so i mean i
1: i lived in oxford for a a number of years and i it was it was wonderful it was completely ridiculous stress-wise and um, the work that you did yeah it was because oxford is a very dynamic environment but they whereas most university terms are 10 12 weeks oxford does it in eight right and it does it on steroids (laughs) not literally for the benefit of the tape (laughs) but you know it's like we're not we're not messing about here so in these weeks that we're open and you know term wise and study wise it is relentless relentless. and and expectations are
0: huge burnout overwhelm totally yeah
1: Um, and and it's a weird culture in that if you produce something all you get is critique because they expect every you may have done an excellent job so that's a given yeah perfect is the perfect goal. Is, is where you've got to get to and then it's like well that's not great this needs refining that's got go off and do it again sort of you wow. know that kind of mentality and it's it's almost like survival of the fittest yeah and that is the case for academic environments unfortunately um i had a great time there i went on a i got promotion after promotion i went to do some work there in the business school i went on a course which was, was transformational um, it's where I brought my family up. Yeah, uh, my, my I met, well, It's where I met my wife. Oh, so you met your wife, I met my wife in you Oxford. Know, she's, she's Cornish. Yeah. Apart from that, she's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, we met in Oxford. We got right. married there because it was equidistant oh, from our families. You right. Know. Okay. Great. Um, two two children. Um, leading up to two thousand about t- two thousand twelve, third child on the way. You know, all, all doing pretty amazing, and then unfortunately our third child um didn't make it. So. Which is really, uh, which was a, a cat. I mention it because it was a yeah. catalyst for, yeah. for moving to York. So the, I saw the job here, um, up here, and I thought, I'm going to have a go for that. And then I'll get yeah. the feedback on it. Yeah. And um, I'll see how I did. Now, this was a little bit after that time. And, and Oxford Uni were absolutely wonderful with me and um, around my bereavement. Because yeah. as a man, it's really difficult to sort of. It's, it, it, it's a really tricky thing anyway. So when you, you you know, you've got a wonderful daughter. When you're doing that, everyone's always talking to you about it. And, and like, if you're a woman, oh, it's, you know, my pregnancy was 10 times worse than yours and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And you yeah. talk about pregnancy and you hit those milestones when you can start to talk about it and yeah. all that sort of thing. And then you've got you've got your mat leave booked in and your paternity leave booked in. And then suddenly you're not having a baby. Yeah. And, and it was really tricky because some of my very close colleagues were also um, expecting. Yeah. So it was very difficult to go oh well i'm not actually having paternity yeah. leave now and oh, so we had some time that we had some downtime, yeah. um and that it was it's just really difficult because you know if people ask me how many kids you got i say two yeah but i have three really yeah. i had three so um adam's my son um lauren's my daughter and then i had william and I saw a post on, on LinkedIn, I think, over the weekend with someone just saying, 17 years ago, I had William yeah. and he didn't make it. And I was like, oh, I had William too Me and too. he didn't make it. And it is really tricky because um, it is, you know, mental health difficulties are a taboo. Um, yeah. And, and it, 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 was, it was pretty hard to get over. But so, yeah, York was
0: a new beginning pete i just i'm so sorry you went through that man yeah. well, um it's 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 baby Loss awareness week this week too oh yeah um maybe that's I, why i saw the post yeah, yeah. and i have having gone through a successful pregnancy and i've got a, a friend of mine i was posting a lot of stuff um about luna and and mm. and i posted i posted a um uh what's the the scan picture Mm-hmm and then i had a chat with my my friend and she said like that was hugely triggering for me yeah. because actually you know you don't, you don't you don't you don't think like that automatically you well, think no one i talks want to talk about st- it yeah exactly i think that's that's it we should be talking about it more yeah. um, and i think i guess from a male's perspective as well you have because you haven't physically experienced the yeah. pregnancy accessing support's probably even mm-hmm. more stigmatized from mm-hmm. a male's point of view in that situation yeah, i think so
1: i mean it was quite, a couple of people who were, I worked not far removed from, yeah. sort of pulled me to one side and said, that happened to us. Yeah. Um, mainly women, not men. Yeah. Um, but at least then you knew you weren't the only one. Um, Did you it, get support? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, we didn't, we were offered to go and talk about it. Yeah. Luckily, um, my wife, she she works as, um, in medic, she's a medic, essentially. She's a... An, a an acp now so she's uh, she trained as a nurse and she's worked throughout um as a nurse and and more recently kind of in the palliative care so hospice environment we we just kind of worked together to get through it really yeah um it's never it's never it's never um okay it's never like back to as it was but it it, it, from from it came good uh good things. so we just went away for a bit um, and and great, had a bit of grief and uh, spent time with our kids, and then went kind of went back to work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd, I mean, it's, sometimes it makes you choke up. Sometimes, like just now, it's yeah. fine because I've I've talked about it enough and talked it through. In the lead up to all of that, I'd always had something called supervision because yeah. I was working in tricky circumstances with with tricky dynamics, and it was so that I would act professionally rather than taking on too much. So I had a I was used to talking to people. Yeah. Um me and my wife talked a lot uh, about it and we kind of worked through it together. Um and I also had done kind of coaching and other bits with people. So and I'd accessed um some bereavement counseling not to do with the death of William but to do with my father and my grandmother simultaneously having strokes. My grandmother was a very powerful person in my life. Um because my dad was not particularly um, parental you know it was it, it was more interested in drinking and going to Paris um, and doing stuff like that um, my grandmother sort of stepped in a lot um, alongside my mother who, who also was a, a very powerful influence for me but she sort of whenever I ran out of money at uni or whenever I I, I was at a loose end suddenly um, and I didn't I hadn't told her about it a, a check would come through and it would say oh we, you've won the premium bombs this week, Pete. Yeah. And it would be, you know, 50 under quid or something, which was a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so that, that um, when I lost those two uh, individuals, kind of just th- through the, that stroke, they hadn't died yet. Um, it really, I, I, I really got rocked. Yeah. And, and I think that was between, that was not... L- Not long after my first child, I think I I experienced a bit of postnatal depression, which is not uncommon in men. You know, I was trying to work my backside off to provide for this family. Yeah. Um, And I remember I got, I went and saw this person who coincidentally was in a hospice. That was where I could go and see them five or six times. I think I I did five or six sessions, worked through all that stuff. Um, So I never went and saw anyone specifically that I recall about... um, about William's death, but I was really well supported by um, by my workplace, by my family, by my friends, yeah. and that wasn't just Pete. You need to talk about. It, you need to talk about it. I had a group of friends that I would just hang out with, and I had a BlackBerry, um, and would always be on email and with work. And I would just sit with them, have a cup of tea, and they didn't really we didn't really chat, but they just I was just there, and yeah. they, they were fine with that. They so, weren't like, "Come on, Pete, get off your BlackBerry." Yeah, it yeah. It was like. We're we're here, man, if you need us. And that's what sometimes. They left, me alone. Sometimes, they left me alone. Yeah. So it wasn't just I needed someone to say, come on, Pete, talk about this terrible thing that yeah. you have, have. Um I also need to say that Lee Child and the Jack Reacher stories helped me a lot in yeah. yeah. perfect distraction. I would yeah. just read my way out of like, not in denial, but just in, as in a, a in processing focus thing. Focus your mind, yeah. yeah. So so kind of in the aftermath of that, um, I did that course and um apply for a job up here and got it much to my sort of surprise. Cause I was like, <laughs> well, it like, sounds like you've done pretty well for yeah, yourself at well,
0: Oxford with all these promotions and what But happened. there was this
1: this kind of, well, I'll give it a go and we'll yeah, see, what, see happens. what happens. And yeah. I had enough confidence in that. And I was expecting, you know, we didn't think you were quite strong enough in this area. And, and it was, it was a few hundred people who applied for that job. I understand. And, and I went for the interview and I, I, some people helped me with, well, I would do this and I would do that and don't overthink it. Talking about music, Swedish House Mafia was the soundtrack to that application <laughs> um, on repeat. So kind of refining, honing, got the job. So we all moved up to York. Um, yeah. You know, my kids moved schools. My wife moved jobs.
0: How, how long ago was this then? How old
1: 2013. Right.
0: Okay. Um, so, so nearly moved, a decade ago. moved
1: up here and, uh, and yeah, got to work at the Union of York, which is a bit different from Oxford Yeah. Um, in good and bad ways. And uh, so, yeah, I was in... I was in familiar territory around kind of disability and mental health, but, but some
0: of the wider stuff, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I understand there's quite a few trips to Hong Kong in that time as well. You've still been, well, I'd
1: made a link with Hong Kong when I was in Oxford. So some Hong Kong people came to visit one of my colleagues at a different university and she suddenly couldn't, um, uh, welcome and accommodate them she said well can they come and see you in Oxford and I was like yeah sure so I gave them the full Harry Potter talk. <laughs> um we took them for fish and chips and they were interested in what we'd done at Oxford around dyslexia in particular because we had a large number of dyslexic students which they just couldn't fathom yeah. how can you do an Oxford degree and be dyslexic so we told them how yeah. um, and they invited me to go and do a talk in in Hong Kong uh, which was great so I was like, okay, yeah, where do I sign? Yeah. So I went over. They flew me over, put me up in a lovely hotel, and um, I went the day before um, to look around where I'd be speaking. And they, and they called it a seminar, so they they uh, they took me into the biggest lecture theatre I'd ever seen, <laughs> and I've seen a few. Yeah. Eight um, hundred seater. They said, um, don't worry if there's if if there's too many people, we've got an overflow room. And I was like, but this is a seminar, right? So I slightly jet lagged and thought there might be some lost in, but no, it was 800 people turned up to this event um, at which I was speaking. So it wasn't like Pete Quinn has landed. Prepare yourself. That was I, intense though. I, like. I did a talk with them. So a very visual talk because um, of the language barrier. And, and then I've been, yeah, since um, when I moved to York, I also welcomed a group and went over there and did uh, another piece of work around inclusion Um disseminating good practice from the UK. Yeah. Um I remember sitting at the top of at the bottom of um the World uh, Trade Center there which um you'll have seen in Batman. Yeah. Um you know the he goes over to Hong Kong he steals that that Hong Kong guy back yes. with yeah, the balloon. Yeah. So I was in the basement of there <laughs> right. writing up a university policy around um kind of not cost of living crisis but you know kind of people from disadvantaged backgrounds which was uh, the irony did not escape me. Yeah. Um, but that, so, you know, it was a wonderful, exciting, um, exciting time and, um, lots of, lots of students from Hong Kong come to York. So that was nice. Um, and, and from the more broader Chinese mainland. So yeah, that, that was, um, that was my kind of how I linked up with Hong Kong, but there was now I am a guest lecturer at the Education University of Hong Kong as in my role as Pete Quinn. uh,
0: So that's where it all started. This is. Yeah. So I had a link with them. Right. Before that. Um, Are you happy s- to tell us a bit about Pete Quinn Consulting yeah, and so, how that came about? So, and- you know, I
1: enjoyed my time at the University of York. There were some challenges there. Um, and, and it got to 2016, so I've been there for three years. Um, I, my wife was about to do a master's degree. Um, she had a little bit of ill health at the time as well, but um, so I had master's degree. And I had the opportunity to go freelance um it wasn't one that I would have chosen necessarily I'd always been in a in a in a working environment where I got a pension I got a monthly salary I got the freedom to do what I wanted to do in the role yeah but I'd never gone undone anything that was just for me um and didn't have that kind of fallback position but um yeah circumstances combined and I became Pete Quinn Consulting um I'm now Pete Quinn Consulting Limited which oh. is which is a slightly different animal <laughs> yeah. um so, yeah, I went freelance and I started to do... I still work with the uni on the uh, Uni of York. Um, and I also did some work with St. John. And then all the people that I would um, had worked with in the past or uh, I suddenly, you know, they realized I was freelance. Some people had asked me to do projects already, which you do as a kind of professional courtesy for people. Um, they decided to pay for them instead, yeah. which was wonderful and, and, and nice. But I, I think I said to you just before... What I was was a house husband and consultant. Yeah. And that was a bit funny, you know, and obviously with that backstory of of losing a child, the, the opportunity to spend time with my kids, walk them to school every day until such point as they didn't want me anywhere near them on the (laughs) wall to school every day. Um, Which was, which was was hard. Uh, Not really, you know, to, to be there when they got home, or go and meet them. Um, But that's where I met Joe from social, um, social vision was he was a dad who dropped his daughter off as well. And, Oh, you met him. On yeah, the we, room. we met in, in the playground. I, I, That's cool. I've I've got a lot of people who I met in the playground who, um, you know, either working professionally otherwise. Um, I sort of bumped into him, and we we we've done some work together now, yeah. including the impact, well, the impact report. Impact part for us, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, I was I was um, I'd I'd always done my bit as a dad, but it was yeah. the weekend challenge, that of course, have. yeah. Um, but now I was I was dad, I mean, and it didn't mean that my wife was any less of a mother no just for the benefit of the tape there too She, <laughs> she's a fantastic she did a fantastic job um uh as, as you know lots of mums do uh and i'd learned a lot from her in terms of that absence of a father figure parenting wise yeah. um
0: so that that made a lot of difference so it yeah gave you a chance gave you a chance to try and go solo yeah it gave her a chance to study and you yeah. got to spend a bit more time with the family and stuff yeah. so it sounded like it was the right time but
1: she did a master's alongside a full-time job oh wow yeah so um so, I, you know, I was um I was doing all all the stuff at home, making yeah. sure there was food yeah. ready for when people got in from work or yeah. from study or all that sort of thing. Which, as a man, it's like, yeah, man, I, I cook all the dinners. Yeah. I it. and it's like, and, and and all the women turn around, all you know, the, the kind of <laughs> men care people go,
0: so what? Yeah, what, do you want a trophy? Yeah, yeah do you want a medal? <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Because yeah, do you know what I had to do least. today? <laughs> it's like,
1: yeah, well, I did all that and held a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I get it. So yeah. that kind of bit, I, I work on it a bit around privilege. And, and, of course, and yeah. what I And I, the, the opportunities I have as a man uh, versus other people in society um, including women um, and people from other other backgrounds and communities um, is is not lost on me no I think that's
0: massively important to say we we, Mm -hmm. we realize that too that the fact that we can have time and the stability of a well-paid job that yeah. we can run mindfulness and we have got you know i've got a space to have a podcast yeah. in, with you in the leafy you know. suburbs of <laughs> exactly york Exactly, i you know. know you know and that 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 is not lost on us either mm. but that's why i suppose it's really important that we do our our bit yeah, isn't it um, definitely so so you were managing so you, you 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 grew the consultancy there yeah. um from a sort of a part-time perspective you were you had projects yeah individual projects on did you yeah
1: and then um i got in touch with hong kong who i was trying we'd always try and work together but because I worked in a university environment where most of the year you're working and um you know during term times I couldn't get away and they said uh, I said I've got more time if you want um to do anything further and they said oh yeah could you teach a course on um inclusive practice in education for us we've got a Chinese version we want an English version and I said yeah sure yeah you know um and I thought well what does that mean and and I brought together a little team and and We have run that course six or seven times now. Right. Which is quite cool. Um, People from Singapore got in touch with an organization I used to work with and said, we want someone to come and look at the politics in universities in Singapore. Um, Would you, do you know of anyone? And they went, well, we know this guy (laughs) called Pete who used to be part of us and he's now freelance. Why don't, you know. Um, Student Minds, um, I do work for, I knew Student Minds. They're uh, an organization, not Young Minds, but similar. They grew up in Oxford. And um, I knew them from a charity I was involved in there called Keen, which was about um, disabled kids being participating in sport. Um, and so uh, I do some training for them. I got in touch with them and said, I would like to make a donation of my time to you, yeah. please. Um, when I set up Peekin Consulting, I wanted to give something back. Right. You know, it sounds very, yeah. I wanted to give something back to my community, <laughs> but, but what I meant was I'd like to give something back to the community. Yeah. Um, so when i went to start to do training for student minds i didn't charge them the rate that i would normally charge to deliver training for other people so i did my work i did work for an organization called goss consultancy who i do a lot of work for in terms of digital inclusion um, as well as cultural inclusion um so i i was really lucky that i had sufficient network and that i'd worked at oxford university yes which doesn't doesn't always help, but doesn't always hurt either. Yeah. It's a very Marmite institution. Reputable. Yeah. So it, it kind of gets you to places where sometimes you've no business being. Because <laughs> they, they, people make up all sorts of fantasies like, oh, well, he must be a professor or something. So I never correct them when they say professor. Um, but I, I do point out that I went to Oxford Brooks And, uh, you know, I, I'm not... I'm, I didn't go to Eton. No. I, I grew up in Bristol. Yeah. <laughs> not Boston. Um But I, I did grow up in quite um a working class area of Bristol, yeah. and there was lots of poverty and lots of difficulty and lots of of
0: challenge and i suppose that has informed my work yeah well it doesn't sound like you had a a, a standard yeah. upbringing you know, an education and you've yeah. you've been through your own struggles but you've still managed to create a, a a really um yeah impressive business doing what you love and believe in
1: yeah it's it, i am fortunate um it's not always been easy i mean during the um pandemic time you know suddenly like most people who work for themselves yeah suddenly they had no income so it's, yeah it's terrifyingly exciting anyway when, yeah when you don't have that kind of standard pipeline of stuff but what i did was i'd just come back from hong kong and spent um quite a bit more time in my hotel room than I anticipated because there was a political uprising which yeah. meant you didn't go out much oh, God. um so i was able to say well Here's, I mean, I work for myself, so I have to have some discipline around that. Mm-hmm. But also, here's what you do if you're locked in a small space and you can't get out very much. And not because of COVID, but because of tear gas and, yeah. and political disruption. Oh, so I turned that into a series of webinars, which I, I started to do. And then everyone realized that actually you can do some. So I've done some projects entirely remotely. Right. Um, as most pe- people, I suppose, have, but I've done projects with Middlesex Uni. Never stepped foot on campus. Right. Worked with um, a big multinational organisation looking at neurodiversity inclusion. I was meant to be going to Berlin, Baltimore, Barcelona, London, and um, NYC to do work in all of those locations. Wow. Unfortunately, so you COVID some... had uh, other ideas. It's all remotely. All remotely. So we did um, we just had to pivot and do some um, kind of questionnaires, yeah. uh, focus groups, things like that. But um, you know that methodology and that that work has led to lots of
0: other projects with lots of other organizations. So. It does sound very broad. I mean yeah. again, <clears throat> equity, diversity and inclusion. I've written down here, you're an inclusion yeah. consultant, that's, you would call yourself. but That's the easiest way to describe it. But it does it. sound like there's, there's, like you said, you, you mentioned digital inclusion. Yep. You mentioned, <clears throat> there just seems to be, you know, no end to it really well, when you look at it. No, thankfully, but sadly for me, there is lots of work. Yeah. I mean, at Oxford,
1: I always wanted to be put out of a job. You know, we, yeah. let's create an environment that's so inclusive that you don't even need us. Don't need me, us. yeah. Um, that's, that's lovely and naive. But, yeah. and, I, and I think Oxford's made a huge amount of progress. Um, And continues to do so. It's great, great teams there doing stuff, but yeah, as we've moved into the digital space, more barriers come along. Physical space, more barriers come along. Attitudinal, you know, barriers, and that's why I'm kind of aware of the the stigma around mental health generally, but men's mental health in particular. um,
0: There is that taboo and that stigma. Yeah. Well, we're working on it together. Yes. Um, so what now for for Pete Quinn then are you you know how are you managing the stress of working for yourself are you still loving it is it yeah it's good it's good I've
1: got lots of work Um, I'm really fortunate Um, and I've got lots of opportunities and lots of prospects I'm actually doing a project with Oxford University um, around um, research culture there and um, neurodiversity in particular I've just finished doing a project similar like that with Bristol Uni but I work more broadly as well with corporate so I loved working in that university space but I now work for clients as diverse as the Tower of London I've worked with them um, shoe the shoe company
0: um, and how does it how does it work when you you know you these places come to you and say we're looking to to be more inclusive or looking to, you know, do do they bring you in and you tell them how not inclusive they are? Well, (laughs) I do a lot of co-produced work. So
1: I was always collaborative in Oxford. We always involved people like I was touching on earlier who had that lived experience. So at the Tower of London, um, and this is for Goss Consultancy, um, we did a a visit, a mystery visit, with lots of people who who were autistic. Right. And they spot loads of... um, Quirks and difficulties that they find particularly problematic, but also it means that most people benefit. They identified the quiet, serene spaces within the tower and the pinch points and those sorts of things, and that's that's what Goss does, and that's why I went to work for them, is because they do collaborative, co-produced work. That's awesome. Uh, do a lot of stuff around apps and accessibility around that for people um, with lived experience. Um, so it's 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 that co-produced, collaborative approach yeah. um, that that really benefits. So I'm the sort of face of it, but I've got a, a team of, of people yeah. w- alongside me. I was going to say behind me, but <laughs> they're all around me. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm sort of in the middle of it. So I coordinate and they do the work and it and it's very impactful. We've yeah. We've just done, A piece of work. I was I was on the touchline watching my son play football yesterday with someone who works at the opera house, who I know have enabled donations to Menfulness through people like Jimmy Carr and yeah, they've been they've been brilliant. They're really really so big shout out to them. But um, I've done a project on the ticketing system that um, people buy tickets for them and loads of other venues where if, if you come from a particular community or background or characteristic, you'd really struggle to understand. What, how you book and how you do it digitally and did it work on the phone as well as it did on a laptop and then there's an assumption yeah. that you've got these digital devices and you, you, you can do it within the time limits that they sometimes impose, for yeah. example. So they, 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 um, they, they're making really good progress organizations like that um, you know, on, on wanting to, to, to do it differently. Unfortunately, for some organizations, we don't just do a token, yeah, you're great. You yeah. Know, yeah do you really it's like, this isn't great. Yeah. Don't bring us in if you just want a thumbs yeah, up. <laughs> so so what we call it is critical being a critical friend. Yeah. Um and we but we highlight the good practice as most people most people are trying. Yeah. It's, well the very fact they're it's, prepared to it's very rare that no one's not trying. Yeah. But um which probably doesn't make sense when you no one's not trying. <laughs> I think that's great grammar. Um but that they, they usually want to make a difference and, and want to make progress. And it's usually incremental. There's no kind of silver bullets or, or big no. bangs
0: but it must be it's probably quite um what's the word it's probably quite difficult for organizations to open their doors and go right bring someone like you in because not only does that mean change which usually means Mm. cost but Mm. also um people are worried about failing with this stuff there's a lot there's a lot of um reputational damage by finding out that you're not inclusive but but
1: in a way it's de-stressing because most people actually are doing all right yeah they're not doing terribly they're doing all right yeah Um, but they're not doing brilliantly and they could do so much better and it could increase, um, you know, participation from all sorts of communities. It increases revenue. Yeah. Um, and you're more happy in your role knowing that actually you're doing work that makes a difference and changes things. So yeah, web developers aren't always happy when you point out some things, but actually they are really happy because web developers tend to want it to work right and properly. Yeah. Um, retailers are happy because it sells more, um, you know, cultural heritage arts places are more happy because the guest or the visitor is actually experiencing it in a positive way rather than yeah. leaving in frustration because this doesn't work. That doesn't work. Yeah. That's not working out for them. Or if they do need a bit of time out on their visit,
0: it's clear where to go. Yeah. You know, that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Great. So I was going to talk to you a little bit. We we um, we mentioned uh, running for Joe because you do that. Yeah every year you do you do a run for Joe Cox So there, don't you?
1: there is a race in Bristol my hometown called the Run for Joe and that's part of the Joe Cox uh, legacy yeah. um and that kind of more in common message and so my dad was in a care home in Bristol for many years and unfortunately it was you know right next to where Joe Cox um died and it had quite a big impact on the care home, as you can imagine yeah but um so I wanted to give something back in, in that community bit when they, they announced that race um, and they were looking for sponsors. So I said, yeah, yeah I'd love to sponsor it. Um, so I am one of several sponsors. Let me be clear, because yeah, I sponsor the whole <laughs> race, you know. So there's a number of sponsors, so a lot of local organizations. Um, and year on year, I've had the opportunity. And the, from being successful and having enough money to be able to, to kind of redistribute and give back. Um,
0: so yeah, Run for Joe and that could be done remotely can't that, it you, that you, was you, done remotely yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: so menfulness got involved with that because you know we didn't all have to go over to Bristol to do it um so yeah there was a really good little band of menfulness men running around the noise Meyer on yeah. the appointed day at the appointed time during <laughs> awesome. during covid times it was in person this year and i was reminded of how hilly yeah. <laughs> yeah it's only 6k but um but there is you know at that race i bumped into a guy who hired at um park run and he saw um the joe cox t-shirt but all and and it was either joe cox one or a mindfulness one and i was telling him about mindfulness and now he's got an idea about creating a kind of mindfulness more in common mashup Um, oh wow that's awesome and, and he's done quite a lot of thinking about it so i will have to talk to you about that but yeah the whole point of that run for joe that i loved was it was just about everyone coming together yeah and there was loads from the um, pakistani community all around and jewsbury lots of people from um all sorts of backgrounds there was the cubs the scouts people from the mosque the churches yeah. um there were all the um mascots from all the rugby league and football teams and yeah. they do a little race um it's That's just so cool. it's about community yeah and yeah so we ha- we do have far more
0: in common than dividers, no matter what you read on social media or yeah. in certain newspapers yeah and i love that that running does that i felt that mm. the 10k in york actually yeah, yeah. they call it the run for all and yeah. it did feel like even if you were able to run it was quite a family orientated yeah. day there was low the sideline people on the side it's the first ever organized run that i'd done wow um yeah it's a very supportive one
1: but where the menfulness stand was um which loads of people came and got badges and merch yeah. We were there after the race, and there were people of all sorts of different abilities just hanging out and yeah. just, just sort of debriefing and whatnot. And there were people still trickling past, yeah. and no one was like, "Oh God, look at the, you know." The, yeah. The, we're, we're now well over the time. We were there cheering and shouting yeah. at them, and it was a, it was such a um, a kind of it, it was it was very. Um, that's the kind of values and event that I want to be part
0: of. Of course, yeah, yeah. me too. Um so running I'm pretty sure it was you that uh, the um when we used to do the social circuits, did you did you turned up having run there once? Is no, that, right? that was so the first ever social <laughs> circuits, I parked round the corner
1: <laughs> and I was running late. So I ran over yeah, the browser and loads of people assumed oh, that I'd run there. I love so, it. I, I was really tempted to, like, I think it was Joe, because Joe I used to see Joe at the school gate in my running gear, because I used to drop my kids off at school, right. go through, run around the city walls, yeah. and then get on with work, and that's, that's nice. what, what I love, that's kind of part of the, the medicine part, running is medicine, it sort of sets my day up. Um, I turned up, and Joe went, have you run here, Pete? <laughs> And I, I, I was just like in that dilemma. I do, I do. Let him believe. I said, let him believe. No, I, I'd love to tell you I did. <laughs> Too honest. Yeah, but I, it, um, I do, I do love running. Yeah. Um, and, um, I don't get to do it as much as I like. But wherever I go in the world, so Hong Kong, I've run in Hong Kong. When, when I was doing the Joe Cox run the last, the uh, before, before pandemic, I couldn't do the the run in in Bristol, so I did it in Hong Kong in wow. Victoria Park. Um. I might not have made 6K because it was 35 degrees at <laughs> 10 o'clock at night. I think I did make 6K, though, but it was not a great Strava time. It was, on Stra- it was <laughs> on Strava. Strava's fine in Hong Kong. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's along the river in York. It's not, is it? Yeah.
0: I, wasn't, I wasn't in Haxby running. <laughs> I was down by the ooze. What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, do you do a bit of roller skating as well? I, I may
1: have done. So people, you know, people who, who, who are very cool will remember... <laughs> That Batley Roller Drome from the late 80s. Um, I used to go there. So I used to love roller skating. I skated a lot when I was a kid. And then at uni, um, I skated around Oxford a lot. Um, so um, you know, I'm six foot six foot two. And on roller skates, I'm slightly higher than that. And, <laughs> and Oxford is not not the most skate friendly place, particularly with all those tourists. But I liked it. Um and then for a while, I didn't skate, and then for, for a, a significant birthday, um, my kids got yourself a pair. I did, um, I mean, I specced them to Bauer Turbos, which were like <laughs> the best skates, so yeah, I, I skate, but I, nice. I don't do it as much as I like. And actually, I am um, conceding to age, I, um, <laughs> I've been wearing uh, elbow and knee pads, um, while I've been out. But I, I love it. Yeah, I love it. And and it's I've still got it, Sam. Have you? I I've still you got there. it. Of course you have. I was flying around, round Roundtree Park the other week, backwards, forwards, round and <laughs> round, <laughs> round, deliberately, not by accident. And uh, excellent. It's funny when the when the youth see me from there. Um, I I wear uh, particular sort of t shirts and stuff from back in the day, and I don't think they realise <laughs> they're, they're sort of like, ooh, What's it? And then I'm on my skates, so. <laughs> Um, yeah, they, they. I love it, Pete. They do it. not understand. Sam. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah.
0: Um, excellent, mate. Excellent. So, I, also as part of these conversations, we're asking people to share with us um some content yeah. that they that's affected them or helped them or changed them, whether that be music, songs, podcasts stuff like that. So, I did ask you for if you don't if you can remember any of them, so I can read them out for you if you'd there, like.
1: There's one book which was uh, out of them all. So there's a great book by Peterson. Have you got that one written down? Yes, I do, yeah. What, just what's the title of that one? Because I call it the spotty book. Pursuing Good Life.
0: Yeah, Pursuing the Good Life. 100 Reflections in Positive Psychology. So there's
1: a guy called Peterson who um, is a, a kind of researcher in positive psychology and sadly died. That Everyone knows about a guy called Martin Seligman who, yeah. who did the thing around um, happiness. It's a, it's um a, loads of little extracts that he wrote for Psychology Magazine and it's all about the evidence around positive psychology, which is the science of happiness. Um Being British, we don't talk about happiness. It's a taboo subject. Yeah. It's probably worse than mental health, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, stiff up a little. Yeah, we don't talk about it. But that, so positive psychology is what works in terms of, there was huge amounts of effort into what causes depression, what causes anxiety, what causes um, all these aspects of mental
0: health. And that's positive dealing psychology with the negative sort of thing.
1: focuses on, so now we know about that. What, how can we increase happiness? How right. can we, and it's not about denying the reality. No. But there's a, there's a huge evidence base about gratitude journals. There's a huge evidence base about green space. There's a huge evidence base about doing kind things for others. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. You know, you're kind to others. Yeah. You get, it makes you, sure you feel a, better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's So, awesome. so that,
0: of the, the, the things I mentioned that is the book, I would say. Brilliant. I will definitely yeah. be getting a copy of that, mate. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned um, the High Performance Podcast. Yeah, I enjoy that. Not all of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, there's a lot of them. Um, really
1: loved Kevin Sinfields, for example.
0: Oh, so it's each for a different, different person. People, yeah,
1: and it's, it's it sounds... A lot of teachers listen to it by the sounds of it, actually, because it's about kind of hints and tips from successful people. But you don't sit there and think, oh, well, good for you and all your success. <laughs> but they, they managed to get some really good... Good guess. Um, Kevin Simford, I've mentioned. Gareth Southgate around when England were doing really well in the Euros is brilliant. Yeah. But I would also listen to Tyrone Mings, um, who plays for Aston Villa, but yeah. also for England. His stuff around racism and um, you know Black Lives Matter was really um, kind of profoundly insightful. Um, John yeah. McAvoy, I think, has done that. If, if not, John McAvoy is really worth listening to on anything he does. He's uh, the um, armed robber who is now a triathlete sponsored by Nike. So he's just got an amazing story. Really, really impressive. Um, But yeah, I I do listen to quite a lot of uh, of different podcasts um, and really enjoy it
0: yeah well uh, uh you've listened to the, the ones we've had on here like yeah. just just getting people in here and listening to their story like it's been really really good um mm-hmm. to to hear a bit more about you today mate um I'll just go back through so we've got guided meditations from Tara Brack, Brack as yeah, well yeah so um a lot of you into meditation are you? I,
1: I am um I'm, I'm my wife's much better at it than me I, I'm quite good at it I'm yeah. quite good at mindfulness I did uh, mindfulness workshops at Oxford University because that's where the Mindfulness Center is. And um, But yeah, a lot of men struggle, in my experience, with meditation. I struggle with it. I mentioned Tara Brack because um, she was recommended to me by a male friend um, and all the male friends or acquaintances or members of mindfulness who I've recommended Tara Brack to really enjoy her.
0: Right, that's good. So
1: she does guided meditation, but she also talks about forgiving yourself. There's all sorts of stuff about um, that she's good in, but her voice uh, is great. Is she on YouTube, is she? Is that... uh, yeah, I think yeah. she's freely available oh, from, from all the usual sources. I will definitely check that out. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I really like her. Uh, Thich Han as well, as I might have mentioned. Yes, be free where you are. He's a Vietnamese monk who, who died this year, but he um, he's a, a really amazing guy. He took um, mindfulness meditation into some of the penitentiaries that you read about in America. Yeah. Um, and it was all about kind of forgiveness of yourself and working well with others but there's a really good bit in um be free where you are about being in control of your emotions and not getting too anxious which i've used personally but also in some of the work i did around you know um, performing well during the day self-management is it like breath
0: breath work or meditation stuff is it a bit but it's all just
1: about practicing breathing yeah um a bit of meditation and it basically says don't wait for the for the emotion to happen, yeah. you know, practice, practice it. Yeah. Um. And don't focus. It, it, it's like when the storm comes, he uses an analogy. Don't, don't be in your head. Yeah. That's no good. You want to be in your, the core and focus on your
0: breathing. Yeah. It's good. It's great. I yeah. can't, I can't pretend to even no, get I, close to the clarity that he brings. Yeah. But that's, that's awesome. Cause that's sort of teaching. I think is especially for, for people who do struggle with anxiety and um, overwhelm and yeah. burnout, you know, modern sort of day yeah. uh, coping, problems there I guess that'll be really useful for them so mm. I've got lots and lots of stuff that I'm gonna check out after this mate for sure
1: just one more thing that I'd say gratitude journaling so um three things on a morning that you're grateful for and then a tune or something that you can you can go on Amazon and buy it for 10 pounds you know the kind of nicely neatly bound gratitude journal yeah or you could just look up gratitude journal template
0: but if you do that over a period of time it's really powerful yeah Yeah, me and Anna, for a while, we were doing uh, Best Thing, Worst Thing, something that her grandma had started with her when she was little. You know, what's the best thing that happened today? What's the worst thing that happened today? And we talked about one thing that we were really wanting to make sure we got done the next day. And it does, we need to get back into that because it does, it kind of also gives you an opportunity to kind of, draw a line under it if there's yeah. something great that happened then you want to you know you want to relish in it a bit if something not so great happened you want to draw a line under it yeah. you know um the gratitude
1: so- journal as well as you build that legacy of gratitude and what you're grateful yeah. and happy about it doesn't mean that you suddenly you know ascend to yeah. to contemplate the lotus leaf at <laughs> the temple on the top <laughs> of the mountain but you've got a few days behind you. Actually,
0: it's okay. Things are good. Things are all right. Yeah. All will be well. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, and as well, so we're, we're getting some songs together. We're going to have a little Spotify playlist. Um, so you've you've sent us a couple of songs here. They're uh, probably quite niche. I can't remember. But That's it, good though. No, the niche are the better. Whatever I've enjoyed you've that got, day. Yeah. You've got, for, for, for your happy song, you've got Pet Shop Boys, the way it used to be. Yeah. JCRZ remix. Got to be that remix. All the others are rubbish.
1: <laughs> Not really. It's just JCRZ does really good remixes of the Pet Shop Boys. I yeah. I'm a pet head. Yeah. Um I've always loved and listened to the Pet Shop Boys and and New Order as well. Um but that's a brilliant um brilliant tune always uplifts me. Good man.
0: You in fact you you've got a very eclectic taste. I've had I've had rap from you, I've yeah. had dance music, I've yeah. had you know all sorts.
1: Yeah, music is is really powerful. Yeah. We were chatting before about whatever you put in you has yeah. an effect. Yeah. But a lot of the music that I I reference um, is, is uplifting. Yeah, yeah. Some of the rap stuff is, is maybe not so much, but it's powerful. Yeah. Those bars of fire, man. Yeah, those that Coast Contra stuff, it's, oh, it's, it's, a, it's so very good. uplifting. But that's because it references back to some really powerful hip-hop back yeah. in yeah, know, yeah. the 90s or wherever. And um, it's just great. Yeah. It's, um, and it's political, and
0: it's powerful, yeah.
1: and it's energizing, and it's it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, that's Coast Contra freestyle for anyone who's yeah. a hip-hop fan out there. Yeah. Um, and then for your sad song, uh, th- this one I wasn't familiar with this one, so this is Tad Tadok the priest oh Zadok the priest Zadok the priest. we played
1: it. it at my dad's funeral. You probably recognize it um, yeah. it's a very classical piece of music right but that 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 um he used to play that in the summer holidays <laughs> yes <laughs> um but it's it's a massive organ choir thing, and I think it's actually a coronation song yeah right um or uh, I don't know, but it's it's uh you
0: know. It's, the choir, yeah, it's choir of Westminster Abbey on here. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a, it, you know, it's it again slightly niche, not yeah, for yeah. some people, but yes, yeah. uh, it'll be on our playlist, my friend, okay. for sure. Um. Lovely, well, I think unless you think there's anything else I'm good then um but i would love to have you back to talk maybe more specifically about you know demystifying well being yeah inclusion diversity, all that like I want to get more of your experience if we can love love um, to do that,
1: Sam, thank you for all you do for menfulness, and um, you know it's just great it's a it's a privilege to be part of it i I get just as much good from from being part of it, you know, and it's not a selfish thing, um, but it's just great to be part of something that I think is really powerful could work in most places in the country and actually you know when we talk about the numbers of people who benefit from it you know it's it's having a real and and profound impact on men of york and
0: beyond now oh, what's coming from you mate that's um that's high praise indeed we're very very lucky to have you on board um you know long may this relationship continue and uh and, and it's been so good to learn a bit more about you and and what what makes you pete quinn so thank you for being you my brother thank and, you and uh, we'll see you next time Yep, you will. Cheers, man.